So, uh, two years in, some of you will be shorter, some of you here for your first time. Such a really warm welcome to you. But for all of us, how are you feeling today? If you're a Christian here today, how would you say your spiritual life is going today? Since uh, we've started Town Church, I've been asked most weeks by friends how Town Church is going. Um, and it's a hard question to answer. Um, and having chatted to more and more pastors, more and more people who are leading churches, I think generally all answer in a fairly similar way. Um, we're greatly encouraged. We're so encouraged to see people gathering and size just pray, gathering together as family, serving each other, loving each other, uh, working out together what it looks like to live and speak of Jesus. It's been such an encouragement to see uh, growth in numbers of people coming, but also growth in maturity as people get to know God more, get to know his word more, see people coming to faith, what main reason we exist. So encouraged to see that. Uh, and at the same time, encouraged, say, no, discouraged sometimes. We because we long, don't we? And I'm sure all of us in our own lives, when we look at ourselves, we have this as well. We long to see more fruit. We long to see more growth. We long to see more people coming to follow Jesus. We'd love to see uh, more of our church inviting mates to come to church to hear more about Jesus, because we believe it's the greatest news in the world. It's a longing for myself, as I hope it is for you. How is our spiritual life as a church? Now, I want you to imagine... Uh, imagine a, a salesperson comes up and says, excuse me, uh, are you happy with your spiritual life? Do you, do you think you can know God better? Town church, do you think you can know God better? You can see more growth? Well, I don't think anyone would say, no, I'm, I'm not interested in a bit more power. I'm not interested in a bit more growth. Paul here in Colossians is writing specifically against this. Uh, this call to have something greater than what we already have, because we're going to see, so we're going to look at the Colossians and look at the book as a whole a little bit, we're going to see that in Jesus we have everything. Uh, the salespeople were going to this young church in Colossae, These, they were coming and they were saying, a young church like ours, two years in and going, are you content? You can have more. It's your lucky day, sir. I have just the package to give you more oomph, to give you more growth, to give you more joy, to give you more holiness. Paul's response? Look with me and do keep your Bibles open. I'm going to keep looking at them. It's God's word, which we want to test, not what I'm saying. So look down at, at chapter 2. Uh, that's the big 2. And then verse 4 with me. This is what Paul says. He says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. He calls these fine-sounding arguments. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Captive through hollow deceptive philosophy. It's our greatest danger as a church, whether this is your church at the moment or you've just come for your first time. It's our greatest danger as Christians, as God's people, that we look to add to what we've already got. And we'll do this because we don't really understand what we have in Christ already. It, we have everything. That's the great encouragement we're going to look at. It's a really encouraging passage today. Uh, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. And we're told here, do not move from it. Do not move from it. People may say, come on, town church. If you just did this a bit more, you may be thinking this. If you just did things a bit differently, if you had a new focus, a new special teaching. Uh, don't hear me saying everything we do here is perfect. I'm 100% sure it's not. We're fallen, broken people. But, but hopefully, 
what we try to, and what you've seen through our values we talked about today, we want to teach God's word and rely on the sufficiency and supremacy of the gospel, which we already have. There's no special super mode which we haven't yet unlocked. See how much Paul strongly hates this? To continue in chapter 2, verse 16. He's talking about some of, the, some of the things which these deceptive salespeople are telling this young church in Colossae. He says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. He's saying, Don't start adding rules to Christianity so you might feel more spiritual. You'll lose Christ if you start listening to this. Do not lose Christ. But in verse 18, people are coming to the Colossians and they're, they're peddling special experiences. And he says this, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Excuse me, church, excuse me. Would you like some more spiritual power? That's what they're calling. This is a scrap for your spiritual life. It's a fight to save the church. Uh, let me hear, say really loud and clear, church, it's only Christ until the day you die. I want us to get this. I want us to get this as we kick off our third year as a church. So we remember that it's only Christ until the day we die. Verse 20, 21, Paul continues, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. You see, someone had come to the church in Colossae saying, do you want more power? Well, don't worry about the physical world, it's disgusting. It's all about the spiritual world. Dive deep into that and ignore the world you're currently in. You can have more than you've already had. Be dissatisfied with what you already have. We'll look briefly before we get into the verses we had read out. Look at the answers Paul gives to these lies as we, we set up what Paul then is going to say to us. Verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come. The reality is found in Christ. Verse 19, they've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. And verse 23, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Paul hates these additions to the gospel, and he warns us against it. Now, uh, in our culture, maybe in your lives, these deceptive philosophies may look slightly different. They may do, they will do. Um, but let me be clear on this. Our culture, our world, is trying to draw us away from Jesus. Slowly, maybe. Maybe as you've stopped and reflected on the last year, you've noticed a slow drawing away from Jesus. January is a good time to reflect and resolve, not, not like the spiritual, uh, super spiritual, just to do new different things, but let's resolve to focus on the gospel and focus on Jesus. And so Paul, at the heart of his letter here, 2 uh, verses 6 and 7, he gets to the heart of his letter of his young church. He says this, he says, even against all these philosophies, warning them, he says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Continue in Christ. Continue in how you were taught. Keep going, church. Discouraged? Keep going. Keep trusting the gospel because it is true and it will lead to affirmation and it will lead to joy. 
If you're a Christian here today, this is to be a real encouragement, a real assurance. We, we have all we need already in Jesus. He has done all that needs to be done, so keep trusting in the gospel. Don't try and add to it. Paul reminds the Colossians it is God who grows the church, God who works as we cling to truth already revealed in the gospel. And so in our three verses, remember what chapter 1 verses 21 to 23 we're going to dive into. Three verses, we're going to zoom in on what Paul says to encourage and remind the Colossians and so us today. And he reminds the Colossians in these three verses of their story of coming to faith. He kind of tells their testimony to them, if you want. And he's going to say that their story, their story and our story as a church is awesome. Do you think your story of coming to faith is bland if you're a Christian today? Do you think it's boring? It's normal? It's not. It's awesome. And Paul firstly then looks at their past, what they were like. He looks at their present reality before he looks to their future. To be an encouragement. To be an encouragement to town church in 2020 to keep going. To be an encouragement to people to continue. So firstly, let's look at our past. We were enemies of God because of sin. Verse 21, let me read it again. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. I wonder if you think to your story of coming to faith, your testimony, some people call it, how many of our stories you remembered would start like that? <laughs> Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. Paul doesn't mince his words, does he? I think one of the key learnings I've had over the last few years here at church has been the importance of, of two things which affect everything. Firstly, the importance of having a right view of God and what he is like. So crucial. And secondly, the importance of having a correct view of who we are, both with and without Christ. Because God, God is, is awesome, he's holy, he's pure, he's supreme. Just skim back to me, the verses just preceding this, verses 15 to 20, they're famous. They outline the supremacy of Christ and they're wonderful. Remember the context of Colossians, people are peddling the need to add to Christ. They're saying his work is not sufficient. Paul counters by saying this, Jesus the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Verse 16, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of a church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. What a picture of the supremacy of Jesus of his utter control, his authority and his power. Then verse 21 hits us with the sober reality of what we're like. Alienated from God, enemies in your minds. John Newton, uh, he wrote Amazing Grace. He should be famous more than that, but that's mainly what he's famous for. He's a former slave trader who converted to follow Jesus later in his life. And he got this need to rightly understand things on his deathbed. He said this to someone he was discipling. He said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour. You see, the good news of the gospel is only good news when we grasp this. If we don't think we need saving, there's no need for a saviour and Jesus is irrelevant. Might as well go home. 
and this is why at Town Church we, we value the teaching of the Bible so highly. We'll talk about our sin, our rebellion against God, because the Bible does, because God does. And I think as we look around, as we look inside, we, we know this is true, don't we? And maybe you're sitting here today and you're discouraged because of this. You look at the world and you're discouraged, you're confused. Why is the world in such a mess? Maybe that's one of the emotions which makes you struggle to trust Christ, to know assurance today. Just looking at the news, potential catastrophic war with Iran, Brexit turmoil, famine around the world, climate change, wildfires in Australia, broken families closer to home, difficulties with colleagues at work maybe, angst in the home or with children. Why is the world such a mess? Why allow this God? The answer's plain in a day in the Bible. The Bible offers, offers answers to all of life's greatest problems, all of life's greatest questions. And the answer is this, why is the world in such a mess? Well, well sin, re rebellion against this supreme God. We know this when we look at the world and we know this when we look inside as well. Put your name in this verse. I'm going to put mine in verse 21. Once Johnny Reed was alienated from God and was an enemy in his mind because of his evil behaviour. It's important to get our view of God right and our view of ourselves right. Before you met Christ, before you followed him, if you have, you were an enemy. It may not always feel like it, but be clear that anything not done for him is against him. This is sin. Why? Because of who he is. Remember his supremacy we've looked at. That is who he is. So the question then comes, what does Jesus do about it? That's our past. What does this supreme one do about it? How does he deal with our great problem? Well, let's look at the present. Our present, we're friends of God. We're pure and blameless because of the cross. On uh, December 26, 1944, the Japanese army sent second lieutenant, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, I apologise, Hiru Onada to the Philippine island of Lubang. His orders were just to fight indefinitely, 1944. Uh, word never reached him several months later when World War II ended. For 30 more years, true story, 30 more years he went on fighting in the context of the war that only existed in his mind. He lived in hiding. He came out at night to steal food from the villages and he even shot at people now and then. Ten years into hiding, he found a newspaper article about himself, but he thought it was a trick to get him to surrender. The Philippine government dropped leaflets into the jungle, asking him to come out. They brought loudspeakers in and shouted, Anada, the war is over. One day his own brother stood at the microphone and begged him to give up, but he wouldn't believe it. Anada fought on until 1974, when the Japanese government sent in his old commanding officer, Major Taniguchi, who ordered him to surrender, and he finally gave up. He was trapped in 1945. He shut out the good news of peace and lost 30 years of his life hiding in jungles, loyal to a lost cause. We can be like Ananda today when we trap our thoughts and feelings in a war with God that ended long ago. Christian, you have been reconciled, but now, verse 22, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight 
without blemish and free from accusation. Remember this, and we need to live as if we're in peacetime in some senses. This is the glorious news of the gospel. There's nothing more to do. There's nothing more to add on because we are at peace. We're reconciled with God. Put your name in there again if you've trusted in Christ. But now he has reconciled me, Johnny, by Christ's physical body through death to present me holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. It's glorious, the glorious truth of the gospel. Two questions Paul answers here about the reconciliation, about this transfer being an enemy at war to being at peace. Firstly, how are we reconciled? Well, notice with me at the start, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Notice and remember again, uh, maybe you need to hear this, the good news of Christianity is there is nothing you can do. He is the one who reconciles. This is the gospel. He takes that step. He is the one who by Christ Jesus' physical body through death reconciles. We're reconciled by Jesus' physical death on the cross. You see, Jesus was treated as if he was me, so I can be treated as if I was him for the rest of my life. Jesus was treated as if he was me, as if he was you, so we can be treated as if we were him for the rest of our lives. Jesus died the right and just punishment for our sin so we didn't have to. Someone needed to die, a sacrifice was needed, and Jesus died on the cross, physically, bodily, so we can be reconciled. Jesus was treated as if he was me, so I can be treated as if, as if I was him for the rest of my life. That's how we reconcile. Why are we reconciled? Well, look at it here. It goes on. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. This is why we are reconciled, so we could be presented holy. Because you see, a holy God, remember our view of God is so important, a holy God, a perfect God, cannot live with imperfect people. You can't have impurity amongst purity, or the pure becomes impure. And so the only way for us to be able to live with God now through his spirit with us and forever in the new creation is for us to be made pure. And the whole of the Bible echoes with this question. We saw in our Bible overview again and again, how can a holy God live amongst an unholy people? And the answer has always been through the atoning death of the substitute. And here we're told through Christ's physical death. Jesus was treated as if he was me so I could be treated as if I was him for the rest of my life. So Christian, if you're a Christian today, listen to these words. If you put your trust in Christ, you are blameless and free from accusation. This is the reality, not the lies you believe in your head. Whatever your year has been like, whatever your Christmas has been like, you have been reconciled in the past tense. You have been reconciled. Those salesmen who are going to this church and saying, do this and you'll be free. Do this and you'll have more. Do this and you'll be holy. Do more of this, do more of that. No, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. How do you respond to that? Hopefully this fills you with joy and it fills you with hope. And if you don't follow Jesus here today, you're so welcome. This can be you, free from striving, free from trying to prove yourself. You can be free. Because of Jesus, if you follow him, this is who you are in Christ. Your identity is solid and it's secure. 
as Paul goes on, no more rule keeping, no special foods, no special days. Paul rails against us again and again. Stop adding to the gospel. It's full enough and complete enough and joyous enough as it is. No spiritual experience can make you cleaner than you are. I'm clean because the creator of the universe died for me. This is the gospel. What more do you need? This is what we want us to remember as we go into our third year church. Because our purpose statement it begins by saying we want to be a people who have been, he has reconciled you, and are being transformed by the good news of Jesus. We've been transformed. And the question hangs, doesn't it? What does this look like now then? And do we look like this now even? But when our friends look at us, do they see the joy and assurance that this should inevitably bring when we grasp this? Do they see the thankfulness at life that this will bring? Remember 2 verse 7, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. That's Paul's prayer. A good test of authentic Christianity is how thankful we are. Our, our level of thankfulness will reveal how truly we've understood what Christ has done. I knew a lady uh, when I was at school. She had lost her two sons and her husband in a case of extreme uh, religious persecution in India. And yet when you met her, you could still see a profound sense of joy and thankfulness for what God had done. You could ask her how she, how she was and you'd expect to hear some complaints. She'd be justified, you felt or a sigh and a oh. And yet whilst not ignoring the pain she felt and the grief she had, you could see in how she spoke and acted a real firm joy and thankfulness and assurance. And she had this because she got the gospel, because she understood what God has done for her. It's why at Town Church we'll keep preaching the gospel again and again and again, because it is the only thing for us. And it will lead to thankfulness. One of the first signs of backsliding is a thankless heart. Because you see, if we grasp this, if we get the wonder, the audacity of this, it will change how we live, won't it? A people who have been transformed and are being transformed, our statement says. And throughout this letter, Paul talks to the Colossians about how this gospel will change how they live. Flip with me to chapter 3, it's just the page over. And he says, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He says, since then... You've been raised with Christ, as he's talking about the blessings of God in Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. He then goes on in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. And he goes on and on and on. Church, if we grasp the gospel, we will live changed lives. We're called to live out our new identity, not to prove ourselves to God, not to earn anything from it. We have been reconciled. Live now unlike that man in the jungle. He thought he was at war the whole time. Live transformed lives. And the challenge here is, and it's a challenge for me, are there areas in your life which you need to stop and reflect on here, things you need to put to death? Can I challenge you to do business with God on those areas today? Maybe chat to someone here about it in your growth group maybe, small group, maybe a spouse or a close friend. Do business with God if you need to today. It's so important we, we grasp and we keep reminding ourselves again and again of the wonders of the gospel. Uh, it's a bit like putting money into a vending machine. You don't see them as much anymore. There's massive. I saw one the other day. It was glorious. I was very hungry. I needed a Twix. Um, but there's a state of limbo, isn't there, between putting in your money 
and receiving your Twix. You put the money in and it's got your money and there's that moment when it's not producing the goods. Particularly if it's one of those ones you can't see what's in it necessarily. Uh, and so it's an old machine, you've got to pound it, don't you? You remember doing that? You've got to pound the machine until the Twix comes out, the can of Coke comes out, whatever it is. And I think for many of us, we're often in that middle state. The, the gospel has gone in, but the penny hasn't dropped. And no real character change is coming out, maybe. And when people look on, they still see a people who are, are scared of people's approval. When they have God's approval, we've been made new. People are trying to justify themselves, to reconcile themselves, maybe. Maybe through how much money they're making. They think that will make me right. Or, or, or progression in their career, or having a certain type of family. And God has to pound and pound and pound us until the can drops. And Paul here is hammering the drum again and again and again, and going, this is the gospel. Let it transform you. But we preach this to ourselves. This is our present reality. We are now assured of this if we put our trust in Christ. It's the glorious good news of the gospel. Thirdly and finally then, we see our future. And the challenge here to continue in your faith, do not move from it. Paul says in verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. We get the only if in the passage here. And I think there are three instructions, three implications here as we close. Firstly, do not shift. Do not shift. This condition, this if, it's not meant to cause us to doubt and say, but what if I don't continue? It's meant to cause us to reflect on the steadfastness and solidnesses of God who's already reconciled us. The call here is to not move on from the hope held out in the gospel. And Paul is reminding the Colossians, and he does it again and again, of what God has done and of the hope of heaven which is secure. And their salvation which initially caused them such joy and assurance. He's saying, keep going with that. Remember what it was like when you first trusted in Christ. Keep going with that. Don't listen to people who are saying, fullness, power and might will come from something extra. Church, let's never do that. Stop that. Continue in this. Continue to trust in the supreme God of the universe who's already saved you. Do not move. And what this leads to, the second implication, is confidence. Have confidence. It, in verse 23, Paul talks about the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. There's no sweeter message of hope uh, than to hear God announce when you Wake up in the morning, you maybe wake up, you make up miserable and depressed with a sense of guilt, a sense of estrangement before a holy God. This is the hope. You can go to bed tonight. You can go to bed every night with a quiet and peaceful heart, knowing that every sin you ever committed and ever will commit is forgiven and you're reconciled to the almighty God by the death of his son. This is the three offer of the gospel and it causes confidence and assurance. We have confidence because of the complete work done on the cross which offers us hope. A theologian uh, once said, we lack assurance because we fail to focus on that spot where he's revealed it. If you're discouraged today, if you're doubting today, what is that spot? That spot is the cross. We're going to celebrate it in a minute as we celebrate communion together. There are so many distractions that want to turn us away from the cross as it's described here, Christ's physical body through death. 
They were incessant now and they're incessant for the Colossians. And failing to focus on the spot of the cross has serious consequences. So here's my question for you. As we've been reminded of the gospel today, as we've focused a little bit on the cross, in the last week, in the last year, in our last two years as a church, what has been your primary preoccupation? What has been your spiritual focus? Was it that spot where God most reveals his personal love for you, the cross? Or was it on your own circumstances? A tough job, difficult family, a lack of progression, bad relationships, on your own circumstances, your own conditions, your own concerns? Was your preoccupation in the personal pursuit of godliness? Growth in godliness must be, um, must be done, but, but never apart from joyful gratitude for the cross. Friends, we're, we have a great danger. We have a great danger like the Colossians did of moving on from the simplicity and magnificence of the gospel as seen through Christ's death on the cross. So at Town Church, we're going to keep preaching it. Hold us to account on that. If we don't, kick us out. The danger of all of us stopping and remembering the complete work of Jesus on the cross and relying on legalism and self-effort is huge. And it's relentless in this world. And Paul wants to say again and again, do not move from this. So I urge you, keep preaching the gospel to yourself day by day by day. This means continually facing up to your own sinfulness. Verse 21. And then fleeing to Jesus through faith in the blood he shed on the cross. This will give you fresh confidence and assurance as you live. And this will give you joy, true and real joy. That's confidence. Finally, I think an implication of this, it will lead to gospel proclamation, one of our key values. A result of us understanding this will cause us to speak of Jesus. In Paul's words here at the end of this verse, to become a servant to the gospel that is being proclaimed. Our purpose statement, it goes on, it says, a people who have been and are being transformed by the good news of Jesus, who seek to live for Jesus and make Jesus known to others in and around Vista. We believe this is essential. It's why we structure the services like we do, why we try and use language as successful people who may be in church for the first time. It's the gospel we've heard, Paul says, and it's the one which has transformed us and caused us to grow, and it's the one for us to proclaim, as Paul spent his life doing. We don't need to water it down or big it up. This is the gospel. We've got everything we need here in the Bible and it's glorious. And we can proclaim it with confidence because as Paul says, he says it earlier in chapter one, he says, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So friends, have confidence in your own salvation, but also in the growth of the gospel. Keep speaking of Jesus. Can I encourage us to do this? And this great gospel news we've been commanded to speak of. This awesome news is for sharing, it's for proclaiming as it says here. And Paul says he was a servant of it. This year church will we. And the challenge comes, who are we spending time with who needs to hear this life-changing truth? And if you're not spending time with people who don't know Jesus, then I'm going to say clearly and loudly you need to look at your priorities this year. If you're spending time and not speaking of Jesus to people, then the question comes, do we truly believe and trust that this is good news? It's a huge challenge for me. It hopefully is for you. We need to look at that. So as we look and remember two years, 
a people who have been, this is the church we long to be, a people who have been and are being transformed by the good news of Jesus, who seek to live for Jesus and make Jesus known to others in and around Bicester. Is this you? Confident in the supremacy of Christ and the saving work he's done? There is no better offer from the salesperson at the door. So if you're a Christian here today, have confidence, have assurance, you have been reconciled from enemies to friends. Don't move on from the gospel. Church, let's never move on from this. It's all about Jesus and Jesus alone, trusting in him and him alone. If you don't follow Jesus today, we'd love to chat with you. Chat with the friends you've come with. If you've not come with a friend, chat to us. We'd love to chat to you about Jesus. If we trust in anything else, we will live lives devoid of hope, lives devoid of change, lives devoid of confidence. So Paul says 2 verse 6 and 7, we looked at the start, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Friends, let's keep going. Let me pray as the band come up. And we're going to sing of Christ, our solid rock, who alone hope is found in. So let me pray, then we'll stand and sing. Father, we praise you for your supremacy. Even if nothing was in this book about us, you are still worthy of praise because you are glorious. You are supreme. We thank you so much for the saving work of Jesus on the cross to reconcile us. Help us to know that, to be assured by that, to have joy off the back of that, Lord, we pray. We give you great thanks and praise. Amen.